And just as another way of hearing how um, someone has kind of translated, yeah, the traditional form of the refuge, the way it's expressed, and uh, into a, I don't know what you say, a more personal, or I don't know, maybe it's the trying to find a way that the psychological Western mind or something can kind of find a way in. Again, not in a reductive way, not to reduce the, the refuges to this, but as a way to kind of a doorway in. So she says, We can find true refuge within our own hearts and minds, right here, right now, in the midst of our moment-to-moment lives. We find true refuge whenever we recognize the silent space of awareness behind all our busy doing and striving. We find refuge whenever our hearts open with tenderness and love. We find refuge whenever we connect with the innate clarity and intelligence of our true nature. So, and um, just one other um, example, just to hopefully um, just show how it can we can connect up with this in our own way. Um, this was the several years, I can't remember how many years ago, quite a few years ago now, when I, I, I sat with um, Jitindria, who was a uh, nun in the Thai forest tradition. And it, it, was, it had been a while since I had, particularly in monastic retreats, been witnessing the chanting of the refuges and just thinking, wow, what on earth is that? <laughs> I don't get it. And it's lovely and I can see it's so beautiful and it means so much and somehow. So this retreat, she described how she had kind of found her own, if you like, translation. And so I I kind of followed her and kind of adapted what she gave and for a while practiced with, I take refuge in awareness. And that really, that kind of worked for me. Well, that was that was really helpful, and the second one with the Dharma was I take refuge in the way things actually are right now. Yeah. I take refuge in the way things actually are right now, and again, I guess I'm of a very pragmatic bent because for me, if it doesn't have that kind of practicality about it. I'm like, well, I'm, you know, it just seems like it just stays as an idea. But for me, that did two things. It, it, it helped me to, that alignment, that tuning in to, oh, it really is, it really is about here and now, what's that? But it also, somehow, even now when I say that, it kind of, it's leading onward in the sense that it's, well, what is going on right now? You know, I don't know, I'm not sure I really know. So you could always have this kind of questioning or opening quality in it as well. And I'd say, let, you know, if I want to attune with the way things actually are right now, then I really want to know how they are. And then I think, well, I don't really know. <laughs> so, 
but without it becoming discursive. It's just this sense of deepening, sense of opening and wonder and, you know, wow. You know, that kind of wordless, um, don't know, it's unknown and yet somehow in a positive kind of mm, helpful way. Um, Stephen Batchelor calls it perplexity, kind of wise perplexity. Okay, so enough on that. Um, So the next piece I wanted to touch on, I feel like each of these pieces could be a whole talk, so we'll see how far we get. But um, One of the things that um, we see in our experience and I I don't think I'll be alone in this no I'm sure I'm not but is this tendency to latch on to to cling to all kinds of things people places activities ideas food relationships yeah I think the list is possibly endless of what we can cling to (laughs) possibly endless I'm not sure Phenomena are endless and infinite, possibly the forms of clinging are. And there's one way of understanding why refuge is so important, true refuge, is that, you know, we have this tendency to seek security, comfort, clarity, uh, yeah, all kinds of things that we seek in the things of this world. Um but that they, they cannot offer us. They cannot give us what we want from them. So, my sense is, it is not the things of the world, it's not the people and the relationships and the institutions and, the, and then all the stuff in our own hearts and minds that we get really attached to, certain views of myself or others or the world that it's 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 when that is not seen right it's something the avija not seeing ignorance that's when it becomes suffering you know because we all live in a world and we have minds where you know things you know <laughs> generate wanting and generate craving generate resistance and it's like okay so how does that become a false refuge? And then many years ago, I went to a Quaker retreat center, actually. And quite honestly, I think it was probably the happiest year of my entire life, even, even now. I look back on that kind of worldly level. You know, I won't go through the whole list. But anyway, it was a lot there that was like really, really pleasant and wonderful. And it came to an end, didn't it? Of course it did. And uh, and I can remember at the end of that year having all these sort of kind of... And because I, I write poetry, that was one of the things I do, is sort of allowing my imagination, my mind to kind of express it. And I wrote all these things about hiding in cupboards, you know, so that I could stay there. And it, and it, it was kind of fun to make it, to bring humour into it. But it was also just to see, wow, you know, how how much I wanted to hold on to that. And at the same time, I've been practicing a little while at that point. <laughs> it's like one bit of your mind knows, you know, mm-hmm, what are you doing? <laughs> no. 
But another bit of you is like holding on for dear life. No. We're trying to manipulate everything so that, you know, I could stay. So I think this, again, I, I think this could be a whole talk in itself, but the, how we can on retreat and, and in our life, to s- we could inquire, we could, it could be a wonderful practice theme for a while. Like to say, what, am I, what do I take refuge in in my life? In very gross, obvious ways and maybe in very subtle ways. And what is the difference between having relationships, having work, Dealing with this and that, money and business and like, what what is it that makes it into a problem or a, you know, a, a false refuge, which, if it's it's the clinging, isn't it? So just as an inquiry, and also I think that, not to judge ourselves again, as I think in a lot of areas of practice, really crucial to nurture, to foster, cultivate that sense of honesty without judgment. Because yeah. it 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 doesn't it won't help to to start judging yourself for what you're taking refuge in. So yeah, maybe that's yeah, maybe that's enough on that. But um, so just a little bit, perhaps, to visit the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the Buddha. What, what would it mean, like I've already been touching on this a bit, sort of way in, a question from Ajahn Suchito, and I was, it's the Buddha, what, what meaning can we, can we see, can we feel, can we find, or maybe you already have, that kind of brings that alive. Now one very traditional way is to see, the, to contemplate, think about the enlightened qualities of mind, you know, these a mind completely free of greed, hatred, and delusion. Wow. Wow. Like, can you contemplate that? There's something, and I say it kind of, wow, wonderful. How? And then some, something in us can, again, like, kind of rise up or sort of rise up to that or be interested in that rather than having it as an idea which we then see as something we can't do or something like that. Do you see? It's, I think this is one of the importances of translating it into a more intuitive or felt sense. Or Then we, we, we're saved from banishing all these things because we're relating to them as ideas. And then we agree or disagree with them. And that's so limiting. And we haven't, we haven't given it a chance. We haven't explored so we might we might contemplate some of the the remarkable awakenedness of our our mind right <coughs> right right now our ordinary you could say wow you know buddha nature and in some traditions to speak about it's right now we we can we could inquire we can turn we can look at we can wonder about the nature of our mind there's, there's, it has these qualities of, of I use the word awakenedness, and it has this knowing, cognizant quality. This luminosity is another one that crops up in the teachings. You know, 
luminous mind your mind is luminous can you feel can you can you recognize that in your mind it's kind of ooh. you know again no no need to reply but you know and and the sense that right here and now the, the, these qualities if you like of some aspect some some degree, the quality of the awakened mind is this present right now. Right? To be realized by that which is wise in us, which is by that which can actually discern that. Right? And so that's just another possible way. One, one other way with the Buddha I want to mention, which is I, I know it's a little bit uh, out of the sort of normal territory of what we do here I don't know but it's the creative use of visualization which again I know is highlighted a lot more in the Tibetan tradition which I don't have huge experience of but I know the Buddha used a lot of similes yeah didn't he images and it's like this and it's like that you know and so I feel like well maybe that makes it okay you know maybe that's that's kind of yeah use your imagination use it skillfully don't let it run off with you. Let it be in the service of liberation, in the service of inquiry, in the service of cultivation. Yeah. So I was exploring this sense of, well, something like, if I was in my imagination relating to the Buddha, so this is just something you can play with and explore if you want, but I found this very powerful and it opened up some senses of being able to, for example, again, I'm not laying this out as how it just what came for me, just to give you an example of of sort of laying down all the burdens at the f- at the feet of the Buddha, this beautiful, compassionate, loving, you know, loving and warm and compassionate, not just brilliant. It's the compassionate Buddha, and it's. There's something there about being able to be seen and to, to lay this down there and a sense that all of the, the griefs and the, the addictions and the agendas and the hurts, it's like laying it all down there. Oh, even now, as I say, it feels, feels really interesting. You know, just, there's, some very, there's some great power in the imagination that it can take us beyond what we think, what, what our views are about who we are and what's possible for us. It can open up some territory that is, um, yeah, really helpful. Or I, maybe you can remember there was some teacher I remember talking about with somebody who was suffering and was very tired and he advised them to lay, to lay their head in the lap of the Buddha. Anyone else know that one? I just thought that was so beautiful and that again set me thinking there's something about maybe taking refuge in the Buddha, the, the nurturing Buddha, the, maybe the feminine Buddha, the Buddha Mama. See I'm riffing a bit here, please forgive me. Did it go in one ear and out the other? Like, we, have, we have the Kuan Yin figure, we have, I think there's, I don't, I don't know, this is something that, that I, you know, being able to um, find something that is connecting us with a sense of n- of a kind of nurturing uh, 
place we can be in all our life, every moment. And that it's something that maybe we don't, some of us, maybe many of us don't really get when we're young. But we can learn it. We can, it's like we can grow that as a skill for, skillful perception, as skillful means, you know, not as the ultimate reality or anything. Well, I don't know, maybe it is, but anyway. Um, <laughs> it's like as a, as a skillful means, as something we can pick up and, and put down, yeah? Kind of connect with and let go of. I love that way the Buddha would talk about all the teachings, you know, they're like this, well, like a raft, and you tie it together, you make your raft, and there's sticks, and you tie it together with bits of long grass, and then you go across the river, I love that, using your hands and feet, and I <laughs> yeah, across the river of samsara, and then you get to the other side, and you don't carry it around. You can put it down as well. It's not amazing if like you're saying even these most wonderful, profound teachings, that too can become a burden because we cling, because we're clingers, because that's, that's what our minds do with anything. Yeah. So with the, the Dharma, um, taking refuge, going for refuge in the Dharma. Um, how are we doing? Right. Oh, well, no, actually, let's just pause for a minute, okay? I just want to pause. Pausing is good. Just invite you for a moment. I'll just be quiet and shush for a, um, a few moments and just see if you just... Just what it means to you, if anything, to take refuge in Buddha. Just, just hang out with that for a few moments, if you wish. talk about taking refuge in Dhamma, in the teachings and in the truth of the way things are, I found a very specific bit of help from the Buddha, from the early teachings about how to do this. So I'm sure many of you know this. And this is, I think, I understand it's, it's something that he said quite near the end of his life, his teaching life, to his beloved cousin and attendant, Ananda, who maybe, I don't know if you, is really somebody in the canon somehow get fond of, at least I have. I don't, he, he's, he's always there. And I, I have a sense of, so this is, 
kind of Ananda again, not quite getting it, because he was always the one who would not quite get it. And the Buddha had said, no, Ananda, not so Ananda. And he's like, sorry, I don't know. It's like, unfortunately, the good part is, though, then after the Buddha died, he did become fully awakened, as, in fact, he was lying down, placing his head upon a pillow. So, so that's the Buddha. So, Ananda, each of you should make herself an island, herself and no other her refuge. Each of you should make the Dhamma her island, the Dhamma and no other her refuge. How does a practitioner do that? Here a practitioner abides contemplating body, as body. Sound familiar? <laughs> Ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. The practitioner abides contemplating feeling, feelings as feelings, mind as mind, mind objects as mind objects. Ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. Hmm. I think that kind of says everything on that one, but but it's it's again how do we how do we really do that how how do we translate that and you all have your own particular ways and practices and different teachings that can can help us and encourage us in 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 doing that in in cultivating this awareness isn't it this mindful presence with every moment every aspect of life every every aspect of our experience. And we see that in what, whatever we can accommodate, we can investigate. And so this sense of welcome, of, of, of um, being able to continually expand our sense of what we can include, what we can encounter, what we can accommodate in, in in our mindfulness practice, that when we can, when we can, okay, so it goes, what we can accommodate, we can investigate. What we can investigate becomes a Dhamma. It becomes a doorway to freedom. It becomes an illumination. It becomes a truth bearer. So this is, again, the kind of, every moment there's this potential for Revelation for insight. Yeah. So so much so much else could be said, um, but maybe the one other piece on I wanted to highlight is I I feel it's so important um, on retreat and in our in our life that we are um, that we are empowered to 
um, include and deal with the most difficult things in life. You know, the difficult, the most difficult mind states, the most difficult situations, that have, and having a sense that we're here, we're training. You know, we're training so that we can, yeah, be open to both our own difficult stuff and other people's and the suffering in the world. So to me, this is a crucial way that we, t- we take refuge in the Dhamma by turning towards suffering. I mean, this is really the first noble truth, isn't it? It's, and, and I remember this was one of the first teachings I got from Christina Feldman, my, my main teacher for, for many, many years now. Then it's this principle, isn't it? It's this skill of turning towards what's difficult that is with the right conditions and resources is, is part of what transforms us as individuals and transforms our, our communities, our relationships as well. So um, I think I'm all right with time. Yeah. I wanted to, I've been reading this lovely book, which I think is one of the latest books, books by Pema Chodron, who's been one of my uh, very, be- very wonderful teachers. And I just felt like it's a slightly long passage, but I, I hope you'll find it helpful, because I think, in a way, it's, you know, it tells a story of somebody going through a practice moment, we could say, and but it to me it includes all three refuges. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and also kind of just this point about the importance of of em- being empowered to to face suffering. So, a few years ago, this is Pema speaking. A few years ago, I was overwhelmed by deep anxiety, a fundamental, intense anxiety, with no storyline attached. I felt very vulnerable very afraid and raw. While I sat and breathed with it, relaxed into it, stayed with it, the terror did not abate. It was unrelenting, even after many days, and I didn't know what to do. I went to see my teacher, Sigar Kongtrul, and he said, oh, I know that place. That was reassuring. And he told me about the times in his life when he had been caught in the same way. He said it had been an important part of his journey and had been a great teacher for him. Then he did something that shifted how I practice. He asked me to describe what I was experiencing. He asked me where I felt it. He asked me if it hurt physically and if it were hot or cold. He asked me to describe the quality of the sensation as precisely as I could. This detailed exploration continued for a while and then he brightened up and said, Ani Pema, that's the Dakini bliss. That's a high level of spiritual bliss. I almost fell off my chair. I thought, wow, this is great. And I couldn't wait to feel that intensity again. And do you know what happened? When I eagerly sat down to practice, of course, since the resistance was gone, the anxiety was gone. 
but I'll just read this because just she's she's so she I now I now knew that at a non-verbal level the aversion to my experience had been very strong I had been making the sensation bad basically I just wanted it to go away but when my teacher said Dakini bliss it completely changed the way I looked at it so that's what I learned Take an interest in your pain and your fear. Move closer, lean in, get curious. Even for a moment, experience the feelings beyond labels, beyond being good or bad. Welcome them, invite them. Do anything that helps melt the resistance. I will stop now. This, is, this book is called Taking the Leap. Does that? You know, there's so many stories that perhaps you could tell and I could tell. Maybe so this 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 sense that it can be that 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 again it's codependent arising, isn't it? Things are compounded. Things are built. We're, it's experience is being built, and so much of the time, experience and suffering and that sort of in our minds is being built by how we're seeing something, the view. How we are we viewing it? We see something as a block. How about seeing it as a, I don't know, something else? No, seeing it as a window. What would happen? Sounds interesting. Again, there's some playfulness here. What happens? You could take one of your, you know, very old patterns that you've been sort of, you know, kind of working with for, you know, seventeen lifetimes probably, well, more maybe, like. What if I really just looked at this, saw it completely differently? So we don't have to wait for a teacher to arrive and, you know, zap us with a different way of looking. So lastly, um, yeah, just with the taking refuge in the Sangha. Um, Again, many, many ways, and this this inspiration from teachers and particular teachers and 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 our fellow practitioners. I mean, I even you know haven't been here very long, and I'm so I'm so touched by how by your practice and your dedication and your willingness to hang in there and your your metta and your you know your questions and it's just it's so inspiring for me and just that you can just by being present here and with each other you know how how important that is that we need each other I mean we really need each other I mean that's a whole other talk isn't it right that's sense that nothing we have has not come from someone else nothing we owe everything to other people, other beings, to the planet. You know, we would be nothing. We wouldn't be here, isn't that? I'd really, to me, that that's a doorway to refuge in sangha. Somehow, it's this sense of um, we, 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 not me, not you, not them, us, we. And 
that we um, can find together individually a sense of belonging. Again, that, that word for me, that's so powerful, a sense of belonging that can, um, as all of these refuges can perhaps, when we go into them, the, you know, to their, to their greatest depth, is they go beyond space and time and they go beyond this little lifetime and our life and death. And in, in even without any kind of mystical understanding or experience, you know, I, there's a sense of being part of something beautiful. That in our little life, we may have done very little and changed very little, but we have participated in something good. I just, I don't know if that works for you, but that just gets me every time. It's what we participate in, you know, in, in, and, the, and through that, what ripples out into the world and so many different imponderable ways um, it, it's not all about me and what I do, you know, that kind of thing. There's something much larger going on here that we can begin to open to and, and yeah, find wondrous uh, support, shelter, inspiration and peace in. And um, perhaps... Uh, yeah, now coming to sort of towards the end, um, I um, I know that being on retreat, it's a strange thing, isn't it? It's the strangest life, really. <laughs> Has so many different facets to it, and ups and downs and things. And I've always really valued some of those moments. Maybe you've had them here, or other times when you just have a little moment with a, a fellow yogi and. I was I was I was trying to think, I was at Gaia House in England and I actually can't remember whether I was on retreat or not. But um one day I came into the dining room, Gaia House, and I was going to I can't remember I was going to get a plate or something. And I came round the corner and there's this there's this big sort of white, you know, place with all the and at Gaia House we have lots of it's not like here, it's not very orderly. And it's all different kinds of plates and different colours and shapes and bowls, you know, this big, that, you know, different And there was a yogi, a fellow yogi, organising the plates and the bowls. And, you know, putting them all in the right, you know, the same ones with the blue ones there and then the the, the white ones there and then all the plate the plates oh. Me laugh to think about it. you know, and because I, I could see, I just took a snapshot of it and I could see what she'd been doing. And then it's like I arrived, you know, with this moment, and she looked up at me, and there was this moment of you know, just kind of comp- comprehension, and we both burst out laughing. Tony, I think I know, maybe that doesn't make everybody laugh, but it was just, it was just one of those lovely moments of, yeah, I know what it's like, you know, the mind goes and goes like that. <laughs> Maybe you've done something similar or other things. And in that vein, I wanted to read you a poem just that I love, which um, I don't know if you like, but again, it, it strikes me as being relevant to this uh, 
this, this being here together. It's a poem by David Budbell. It's called Bugs in a Bowl. Han Shan, that great and crazy wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago, said, We're just like bugs in a bowl, all day, going round, never leaving their bowl. I say, that's right, every day, climbing back up the steep side, sliding back, over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself. Or look around, see your fellow bugs, walk around, say, hey, how are you doing? Say, nice bowl. <laughs> I like that one. Nice bowl. Hmm? So, what would it be to find refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha? How would it feel to be in something that can meet and receive us fully with all of our complexities? How would it feel to be in something that can meet and receive the other fully with all their complexities? Hmm. So um, I think I'd like to close these reflections just by reading again what I read near the beginning um, by Tara Brach, which I feel serves in some way as a, a summary and an inspiration to us. We can find true refuge within our own hearts and minds right here, right now, in the midst of our moment-to-moment lives. We find true refuge whenever we recognize the silent space of awareness behind all our busy doing and striving. We find refuge whenever our hearts open with tenderness and love. We find refuge whenever we connect with the innate clarity and intelligence of our true nature. So let's just sit quietly together for a few moments. Mm. 